Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. The title of Eddie Vela's new book says it all. It's called A More Successful You, A Biblical Guide to a Life of Prosperity. Eddie's right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Eddie, thank you for being here with me tonight. Thank you for having me. So can you tell me all about A More Successful You? You know... We struggle to have financial independence nowadays. People are living paycheck to paycheck. We just want to get ahead of the game. We want to stay ahead, and we want to have the experience of getting the finer things in life. There's no better way than to put God in, in, the, in the middle of your finances. Hmm. When you put God in the middle of your finances, I believe, because I've experienced it myself, you know, great things will happen. Can you think back to where you got the idea for this? Honestly, this whole thing came about when COVID started. Mm. By trade, I'm a physical therapist and I do home health. I go to patients' homes. When COVID came about, you know, people didn't want me to go inside their homes. They were, they were very scared, understandably so. So my work decreased dramatically. Mm. I got tired of watching TV. And uh, this idea of, of uh, writing a book, just, it just came to me. You know, you can call it out of boredom, out of frustration, just of just being in, indoors. So I just needed something to do. This is something that was in my heart for the longest time that I just needed to get out. And I just started writing on my computer and it just went on from there. Mm. And I just I never stopped. You know, there's not many positive things you can say about the COVID pandemic, but it did force us to become more creative. And it gave us a lot more free time, I think, in general. And kudos to you, Eddie, for recognizing I have this free time and I'm going to put it to good use. You know, it reminded me of the author of Gone with the Wind. The story goes that she had an ankle injury. So she was bored at home. And this is back in the, what is it, the, the 30s? Of course, no internet, no nothing. So mm-hmm. <laughs> what she did was she was, uh, she wrote a book, Gone with the Wind, and, you know, and kudos to her. So it, it's something similar, right? Mm-hmm. You know, thank God for cable TV, right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> There's only so much TV a man could watch. Right. I mean, it got to the point where I was learning these dialogues from these TV shows. And <laughs> I was like, okay, I got to stop. I got to, put, you know, turn off the TV. I got to, you know, focus on something else. And I remembered, I, you know, I had wanted to do something like this for the longest time because I love to write. Mm-hmm. I'm also a musician. I'm mm. a musician in my church. And writing has something that, that's been a part of my life since I was a kid. You know, I, I married the two, my love of music and my love of writing. I started writing songs at an early age, just as a hobby, nothing, you know, professional. But this of, of being successful in life was something that has always been in my heart. And I just needed to put it on paper and just share it with the world, but in a relatable way. In a way where I can explain when you put God in your finances, you will be blessed beyond measure. I mean, it's just amazing. Do you have plans on writing more and maybe publishing more after this? Actually, I do. I have in my head to write another book. Right now, work has gone 
a little bit crazy, mm. but you know, bounced back after that, COVID, huh? It, it has, it mm, has, and good. it's you know, but the education's out there. I think people are are less afraid. People are getting vaccinated, so right. they're being more welcoming into into the homes. So work has increased. Thank God for that. You know, yeah. But I I do have a in my heart to write another book, something totally different in a different subject. Yeah, I do. So it's, it's something that I do want to go dive into at the right time. I don't want to be rushed into it. Absolutely. So what advice would you have to the people listening right now who are the aspiring authors? They want to get their first book out there. What would you tell them? Don't take no for an answer. In my book, I write about J.K. Rowling, how she was rejected so many times. Everybody laughed at her story about Harry Potter Mm -hmm. and nobody believed in it, but she did and she persevered and she kept pressing on and look what happened. (laughs) I think she's now richer than the Queen of England. I think think so too, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so great things will happen when you persist, when you want that pretty girl, when you want that job promotion, when you want that fancy car, when you want that big house, when you want that bonus. If you persist, great things will happen, even if it's something it's something small as writing a book, you know, getting published. If one publisher says no, there's plenty of others. You just keep going. You just keep going. Great words of advice, Eddie. And as your book said, it's always great to have God in your plans, no matter what you're doing, and especially in your finances. Eddie's book is called A More Successful You, A Biblical Guide to a Life of Prosperity. Of course, written by Eddie Vela, published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can get this everywhere, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Thank you again, Eddie, for coming by the show. I had a fantastic time talking with you. Thank you so much for having me. Mysterious letters lead to an incredible story in Mackenzie Coima's new book, Letters from Him. Mackenzie is sitting right here with me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Mackenzie, thank you for being here with me. Yeah, no problem. I'm so glad to be here. This sounds like a really fun story, Letters from Him. Can you tell me about it? Yeah, so before the year before their senior year, two best friends have been receiving mysterious letters. On the envelopes are written to Kenna from him. She, Kenna, decides not to open these letters just because she doesn't know where they're coming from. It's a little weird. So she she decides not to open them. And then her best friend, Jake, decides to open them for her. And then adventure ensues. And they end up going to New York City using each letter as their tour guide. And she learns more about her long-lost family and the family business. Can you think back to where you got the idea for this plot? Yeah, I actually remember the day really clearly for some reason. I was a sophomore in college, and me and my friends, we were just all sitting around, kind of like hanging out, but we were all on our phones. And I was like, you know, no one just writes letters anymore. And so I kind of came up with this concept of, you know, someone receiving letters and and she doesn't know why she's receiving them. And then it just kind of got bigger and bigger the more I wrote. Hmm. Have you ever done anything like this before as far as writing and publishing? No, this is my first published piece of work. Congratulations. Did it take you a long time to do? Yes, it did. It probably took me like five years to just, you know, write and polish it. 
And then how I got into the whole finding a publication was just really crazy because I just kind of put it out there and then I got a lot of good response. So then from there, I just went with the best publishing house and I got it to where it is today. Then after all that time, once you finally got that physical copy, that first copy in your hands, what was that like for you? It's still really weird. It feels like I'm dreaming and I I should wake up really soon and it's actually, you know, just still on my laptop. It's so surreal because I never thought I would ever get to the stage where I would have a physical copy. I always wanted a physical copy, but I just never thought I'd get there. So it's really cool. Have you thought about doing more after this? Yeah, I'm actually making this into like a trilogy series. Nice. I'm currently working on book two. Uh, Do you get writer's block a lot or are things pretty smooth when you write? Yeah, lately I've been getting kind of a lot of writer's block, mostly because I'm introducing new characters and I got really used to the characters that I was writing for in my first book. And so just trying to get into that new mindset of a different character. So it's a little tricky sometimes. Do you have any special tricks to get that creativity going again? Yeah, I kind of go back to what inspired me, especially character-wise. In my first book, I kind of go back to those things, why I thought the characters should be that way in the first book, to really just try to see if I could start writing again. Hmm. Now that you've been through it for the first time, I'm sure you learned an awful lot about the process itself. What advice could you give to aspiring writers? I would say patience. I know that's such a hard piece of advice to give people because I'm extremely impatient myself, but it's a long process and you have to be prepared for it to take that long. It's going to be frustrating. There's also going to be some really great moments in the middle of it. Just enjoy the ride because you never know where it's going to take you. Hmm. Being that writing is such a personal thing, it's a lonely thing. You're doing the whole thing pretty much by yourself most of the time. Did you have people around you in your life who knew you were doing this and could be there to sort of support you and motivate you a little bit? Yeah, my sister was a huge help to me just because she's not a writer herself, but she knew what I was doing. And I just needed someone to bounce ideas off of sometimes. And she's an avid reader herself. So I just asked her, like, as a reader, is this good or is this bad? And then once I got it finished, I kind of just sent it out to a test group of friends to see how they responded to the material. And it was all positive reviews. So it was really exciting. Hmm. I encourage our listeners to check this book out. It's called Letters from Him. It's written by Mackenzie Coima and it's published by Fulton Books. You can get it everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and down the street at your local bookshop. Well, Mackenzie, thank you for coming on the show tonight. I had a really nice time learning about letters from him and really excited to see where this series goes. Thanks again for chatting with me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. There's a heartwarming story in the new book by Mark Barra. It's titled, The Adventures of Sky Hawkins and Dwayne McSwain. The Mysterious Diary. I'm really happy to be sitting down here with Mark right now. Mark, thank you for being here tonight. You're welcome. Can you tell me all about the adventures of Sky Hawkins and Dwayne McSwain? Yeah, well, it's about a boy reading about his grandfather in his grandmother's diary. It takes you through a lot of adventures. It's almost like an Indiana Jones, James Bond type of book. It's really, really action-packed and mysterious. 
Skyhawkings go through uh, different parts of the world, different countries, and uh, gets in trouble with the Nazis and the mob. And also Dr. Sin, he's a Chinese evil, you could say like a scientist, something like that. He wants a golden idol that was the Peruvian Indians had, and he wanted to give it to Hitler. And uh, Skyhawking and Dwayne McSwain interfere with his, his ideas, and they take away the cross from him. And he also gets involved with his ex-wife, Elizabeth that he winds up killing uh, her uh, husband. He's a Nazi, SS Nazi uh, colonel that he winds up battling out with in uh, South America. And it's all just about all sorts of uh, adventures that he goes through. It's, it's unbelievable. You know, it's like I said, like Indiana Jones and James Bond rolled in one. You never know what he's going to get into next. He flies a C-46 cargo plane. And it takes place in, back in uh, the early 40s. And he hooks up with Dwayne McSwain when they were together during the Chinese-Indian War down in the South Pacific with the Japanese before World War II. And he hooks up with him. They become good friends. He winds up on his own uh, cargo uh, business in uh, Vermont. And he winds up living down in uh, New Hampshire. He meets a girl in South Africa he falls in love with. And he never really spent too much time with her because he's always out in his adventures. He tries to, you know, help out the president. He has to catch this General O'Hara. It was a prison from the Japanese, so he has to rescue him and winds up finding out he's a, really a Nazi spy. And uh, he gets into a lot of uh, hot water with him. Everything he does, it always it seems like he's get hurt. It never seems to be very successful what he wants to do. But that's all part of life, you know. Yeah. He's not a, a superhero. He's an average guy he's trying to make a living, and things just happens to him. It's a pretty good story, and it's not that thick of a book, but it's very packed with action. That's all I can say. Sounds like it. Mark, where'd you get the idea for this? Well, when I was a kid, my parents grew up during the Depression, so they tell me stories that when they were young, and uh, the idea they gave me, I figured, well, let me make it into an adventure book. I don't want to use real characters, real names, so I used people I know, their first names, and I just made up the last names. Hmm. That's how it all started. I wrote it about 30 years ago. Just recently, I just decided, let me see if I could get it published. So phone books is sure. Sounds good. They liked the idea, and they liked it, so it took me another year and a half to finish it off. I had I had bits and pieces of it, so hmm. I had to start, you know, how he grew up in Chicago when he was a little boy, and he met a good friend of his, Vinny Jones, and his cousin, Jack Stern, and it, it continued on like that when he was a kid. Then he joined the, the Army Air Corps when he was 20 years old, and then uh, after that, he hooked up with Dwayne, and him and Dwayne McSwain became good friends, and they traveled the world again, and he just gets into a lot of hot water. Hmm. <laughs> Is that's how it really boils down to it. He's, everything when he does is a mishap. You know, he just, nothing <laughs> goes his way. And it's like life. That's for sure. Well, it sounds like readers are in for quite a ride with this book. It's called The Adventures of Sky Hawkins and Dwayne McSwain, The Mysterious Diary. This was written by Mark Barra and is published by Fulton Books. You can get this everywhere like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Mark, thank you again for stopping by the show. I had a great time talking with you tonight. Thank you very, very much. Anytime. God bless and enjoy. 
Right now, here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm joined by author Stephanie Ferguson. Stephanie, thank you for being here with me. I'm glad to join you. You've just published a new book through Christian Faith Publishing. It's called Sister Trees. Can you tell me what this is all about? So Sister Trees is a book about courage and trust. For me, the characters or the trees in this book are symbolic for people. So the book reflects a realization and encouragement that God is with us each and every day through joyful days and also days of or times of struggle, and that we must remember to stand on the promises of God in order to overcome the obstacles that we may encounter. Hmm. Did you have a specific readership in mind when you were writing this? Well, the book is geared for young readers, but it is also a book that parents or grandparents could read with their children, navigating or guiding them to explore the scripture references that are noted on each page. Hmm. Can you think back to where you got the idea to write this? Well, I felt for a while that this was something that was in my path or it was supposed to be, you know. Hmm. But I also felt that I maybe didn't have the time to do it. But due to circumstances out of my control or unforeseen, I was given an opportunity to, I had time on my hands. And so I was not very mobile. And in the chair, actually, that I was sitting in most of the time during this time of struggle, there was a view of a field. Mm-hmm. And these two trees, just, you know, seeing those from day to day and seeing the activity that was going on around these trees, it just, occurred to me that, you know, it's a lot like life, you know, for us as humans. Is this your first book you've written? Have you ever done anything like this before? No, this is my first book. Well, congratulations. Uh, did it take you a long time to do? It took me approximately five months. I wrote it in just a couple of days. And of course, I edited it from time to time, you know, over a period of time. And then, of course, the illustrations are mine also. So that is time consuming. So it took about, I would say about five months to complete. And do you have advice now for aspiring authors? You know, being it was your first book, I'm sure you learned an awful lot along the way. What would you tell people who are about to do the same thing? I would say that if you feel like it's something that you are supposed to do or you want to do, not to give up and go for it. And if you encounter struggles along the way, just to push forward. And if it's meant to be, things will work out. Have you given any thought to maybe writing another book, getting published again? I actually have another book started. Of course, I have several in mind, you know, that I've jotted down over time, but I am working on a second one right now. Hmm. Stephanie, what was it like then when you got the first copy of Sister Trees in your hands? I was excited, yet I would say that it also feels a bit daunting expecting that there could be criticism along the way, but also exciting because, you know, you receive encouragement from family and friends and hopefully the book will inspire someone or there's also that encouraging feeling that it could be inspiring or encouraging to someone during a time of struggle. Hmm. You said you wrote Sister Trees in a fairly quick period of time. So uh, do you ever get writer's block? Of course. That's probably why my second book is not finished. Oh. <laughs> you know, you run into, I don't know about others, but I feel like I'm a perfectionist. And when you encounter, mm. you know, something that doesn't feel exactly right, you have to take some time to think about it and come back to it later. 
I encourage our listeners to check this book out. It's teaching our children such important things like courage and trust. The name of the book is Sister Trees. This was written by Stephanie Ferguson and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can find this everywhere like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere you shop for books. Stephanie, really enjoyed talking with you today. Thank you so much for stopping by the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. It's a collection of short, whimsical stories by Sam Vance. It's called The Old House and the Old Tree. I'm really happy that Sam is talking with me here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Sam, thanks for being here tonight. That's my pleasure. So this new book just came out, The Old House and the Old Tree. Can you tell me about it? Yeah, it's a collection of short stories. They're all fully illustrated. It's a full-color book. They're populated by strange birds, naughty otters, and exploding bunnies. Not your typical kind of short story illustrated book, I would say. I'd like to state for the record that not a children's book, which makes it sound, you know, like it's not appropriate. Totally fine for families, <laughs> but it's not a, it's not a kid's book per se. Mm. I think of it more as, a, as an art book. And the first thing that grabbed me about this book was the cover, the stylized illustrations in this. It seems to really play well into the whimsical idea of the stories. Thanks. I'm a painter. If you go to my website, you'll see that the paintings I typically do are pretty realistic. They're, they're, they've been compared to photographs, and that's always a nice compliment. With the book, I was really looking to do something that felt looser, you know, way more expressionistic. Mm. These stories seem to lend themselves to that style. So uh, I was excited to do something that felt a little freer as a visual artist. Mm. So what kind of a time frame are we looking at here for when you wrote these stories? Were these ones that you wrote over a long period of time, or did these come in a quicker period? Initially, they came. Uh, a number of the stories came pretty quickly. I started writing and illustrating these in kind of late 2019. The stories and the illustrations all kind of came at once. And so I was kind of uh, showing up to the sketchbook and, and into my studio kind of in a fever. Like, I just needed to get there quick enough to get the stories on paper, and I would do a quick draft. and. At this point, I've got about 40 of them that are all waiting to go into volumes, right? Wow. And I picked, you know, over the course of kind of compiling these, uh, this book together, kind of picked, you know, what I felt like would be the eight stories that would go together well for a first volume. Hmm. So, yeah, over the course of time, for sure, but a pretty intense creative period. How did it feel then when you got that first copy in your hands after all that? Well, it was great. I remember reading a quote from Arthur Miller who said, you know, the satisfying thing about a book is that you can, you can hold it in your hands, you can walk around it. It's a physical thing that now mm-hmm. exists in the world where it didn't before. It was all, you know, it was either in your head or it was kind of, you know, in my case, in my studio. And so to have it physically out there in the world is very satisfying. You mentioned you have enough stories for more volumes. Have you given that thought? Have you planned those out? Absolutely. Like I said, they're, they're kind of just sitting in, in my studio at the moment. I wanted to get this one out first and uh, give it a chance to have some life and then follow it up with a, a second volume. And then I've got a, a longer narrative that I would like to put out in the next uh, couple of years as well. So kind of along the same lines, but instead of a number of short stories, it's one longer story in the same style. Well, Sam, it doesn't sound like you have much of a problem coming up with ideas and writing. <laughs> do, do you ever get writer's block? I can't think back on a time where I would call it writer's block. I think you go through fallow periods as an artist, but I also think nothing is wasted. So I think the important thing is you you show up every day to your studio to do the work. I mean, Chuck Close said that inspiration was for amateurs. You know, you you don't sit around and wait for it. You got to show up and do the work. 
And I think the best work comes out of work. And so there's certainly been periods in my life where I think, gosh, whatever I'm making doesn't, it either doesn't seem like it's very satisfying or, or maybe it's not, not coming out the way I want it to. And yet I think those times are also important because eventually something good will come out of it. And so I think it's important to keep showing up whether you feel like it's valuable or not. Now, Sam, do you have any advice for the aspiring authors who are listening out there, the people who have a message or a vision, they need the world to hear it? What do you have to say to them? I would say write the book you want to read. Paint the painting you want to paint. Write the play you want to see. You are your first audience, and you got to be excited about the work. you got to be excited to rush to that rehearsal hall or into your studio or to the piano and create the way that God made you to create. We are all called to be creative and made in that image, uh, made in the image of, of the God who made us. And that is unique to everybody. I would just encourage people to follow that muse, you know, follow the, the inner voice that is saying, yeah, do it this way. And try not to care about the audience at first, because John Cage said process and product are two different things. And we live in process a lot longer <laughs> than we do with the product. And then you can, once you have a product, whether that's a book or a play or whatever, then you can kind of critique it for what it is. But when you're in the process of creating, try not to judge, try not to self-analyze too much as you go along. Let that creative process happen and be excited. Change it up and try not to think about, well, gosh, what, <laughs> what are my friends going to think of this? What are, what are other people going to think about it? Because comparison is the devil. It's great advice, Sam. Well, the name of the book is The Old House and the Old Tree. It's written by Sam Vance and published by Fulton Books. You can get this everywhere like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Sam, I thank you again for joining me here tonight. I really admire your creativity and your talents and putting those to use. I had a really nice time chatting with you tonight. Thanks, Corey. Thanks for your time. Appreciate the opportunity to talk. I'd like to welcome author Susan Martin to the Reader House Author Roundtable tonight. Susan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. You've written a book in the series Animals Found in My Yard. It's called The Night Visitor. Can you tell me all about it? Sure. The story is about a young boy that hears noises in the night that wake him up, and he tiptoes through the house trying to locate the cause of the noises. He discovers an animal that he has never seen before. Where did the idea for this story come from? Can you think back to where you got it? Yes. I was actually, I only write the stories about my animals that I've seen myself. Hmm. So the reason that I wrote this one partially was because one dropped down, just like it happened in the story, an animal dropped down on my porch and padded out to the mailbox and looked both ways. And that just triggered a thought about a story. Mm. So you referenced other stories. So have you written more prior to this? And are you planning more after? I am planning more. I have, I have about five stories waiting to be published. Mm. And I'm working on revision on my second one right now. Well, that's wonderful. Does the writing of these come easy to you? Or are there a lot of stops and starts? It comes very easy to me. What was the most challenging part then about taking your stories and getting them published for the world? Well, I, I never really thought about doing that. But in March of 2020, I was talking to my great nephew on the phone with his mom, my niece, 
And he was telling me about some of his stories, storybooks that she, he was getting read to at night. And I thought, oh, I can write stories like that. That'd be fun. And I've always enjoyed it. I've always read a lot. So I just went ahead and decided to try it. Now, this is for children. Did you have an age range in mind? I would say from three to maybe eight. And when it comes to the illustrations, it's a huge part of children's books. So what was that process like for you to get your vision, your story and everything, what you had on the page visually represented? You know, it was really, really easy with Fulton Books. Mm. You know, they sent me a form and told me to write how I wanted it laid out on the pages. So I chose my styles and my colors from that. And they were so helpful in each explanation. I would say, now this should happen and this should happen. And they just did it perfectly. I really only had like one or two revisions. I mean, they just, they just got it right the first time. You mentioned something important there, and that's that you chose to partner with a publisher, you know, with people that can help you along in the process, because it is certainly a huge undertaking. And what advice now would you have for the aspiring authors listening right now who want to get their book out to the world? I'd say jump in and do it. There's nothing more satisfying or really thrilling when you actually get your book, when you actually get your book published and you're looking at it. They should definitely do it. Mm. Don't wait. Can you describe that moment when you got that first copy in your hands? Yes, I was. It, it was just very professional looking and durable. And on my book, the cover just pulls you into the story. There's a little boy looking through binoculars, and he's obviously in the middle of some trees and bushes. And he's got a look on his face that that was one of the most important things to me that the illustrators did. They got that look of what? You know. <laughs> <laughs> Susan, do you have people in your life who know that you're a writer, know that you take these projects on and can kind of be behind you in the whole thing? Yes. My daughter in particular has always encouraged me to, you know, get out there and publish. And I just never thought it would be a reality for me until I found Fulton Books. Well, I encourage our listeners to check this book out. It's called The Night Visitor. It's part of the Animals Found in My Yard series, and it's written by Susan Martin. You can find this everywhere at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Of course, like she said, it was published by Fulton Books. Well, Susan, thanks again for coming on the show. I would had a great time talking with you. Thank you so much. What would you be if you lived under the sea? Well, I've been asking myself that question recently because that's the new book by Professor Joe Arthur, who's sitting right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Professor Joe, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So what would you be if you lived under the sea? What's this book all about? It's an introduction into the environment. The story starts with a young man who's looking at the water and notices a tree and the sun reflection in the water, and it looks to him like they're under the water. And he looks and he thinks, a tree and the sun under the water, how can that be? But what would I be if I lived under the sea? And he doesn't know. So he asks one of his friends, and she has an answer, which she would be. Ask another friend, another friend has another answer. And then when we get to a third friend, the third friend doesn't want to live under the sea, wants to live over the sea. 
And people are allowed to have different opinions and different thoughts and freedom of expression. So one of the things I'm trying to do is celebrate diversification and also creative thinking. Oh, what a great message. Did you have any certain group of readers in mind when you were writing this? Basically, sixth grade and younger. Can you think back to where you got the idea for this? Actually, it was from a discussion that I had with one of my students about, I was a teacher in, in the Baltimore area, and we were talking about nature, and the student said to me that they could not imagine what it was like to live outside of a city where they, in nature, it would be so weird. Hmm. And I'm like, people don't realize how different and diversified America is and how the different ecosystems of the world are. Mm. So how can I introduce young people to the different environments? There's a worksheet on my website, thehappyoctopus.org, where you can actually go through some exercises about thinking about what it would be like to live under the sea, what you would eat, where you would sleep, where you would hide, what you would do, and what life would be like if you lived under the sea. And I understand that you're donating a portion of the proceeds to some pretty important causes. There are actually six, uh, one third, actually 30%, I apologize, 30%, 5% goes to each of these six charities, Native Americans Right Fund, the NAACP, World Wildlife Fund, Covenant House, the USS Constitution, and I forget the sixth one. Ah! Don't get mad at me. <laughs> Is that the, uh, the Association of Zoos? Thank you. The Association, which is my favorite organization. Hello. The Association of Zoos and Aquariums. And aquariums, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, well, some great causes right there, and we thank you for doing that, Joe. Thank you. When it comes to writing and, and publishing, have you done this kind of thing before? I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> this is my actual first published book, and I have some others in the pipeline. But this is my actual first my, my actual first children's book. I actually have a nonfiction book also that just recently came out. Congratulations on that. What did you find the most challenging part of getting your books published? Having patience. It's a long mm. process. <laughs> the book writing itself is the easy part. Then you have to have it edited and tweaked and redone. Then it has to go through a lot of proceeds. And you're looking at the better part of 10 months to a year for the publishing period. You know, it's like giving birth. It's 10 months instead of nine months. So it did work out. <laughs> That's funny you mentioned giving birth. You know, a lot of authors describe, you know, getting that first copy and it's like holding your baby for the first time. Can you remember what it was like holding that first copy in your hands? It's a feeling of accomplishment. I was a very competitive swimmer when I was younger. And when you accomplish something, it feels good. And this is a good feeling. And not to be arrogant, but to me, it's even a better good feeling because I'm helping, or at least I hope. I'm helping the environment, I'm working with young people, and I'm giving the uh, causes. Mm -hmm. So to me, not only am I winning, but society in general is winning, so I'm feeling extra happy. So you just recently published for the first time, and I'm sure you learned a lot along the way, patience and being one of them, like you said. Do you have any other words of advice that you could give to the aspiring authors who are listening? Have fun with it. Also, it doesn't have to be perfect the first time you write it. I don't know who said it. I've been told it was Shakespeare. I was told it was Byron. There's no great writers. There are only great rewriters. Mm. So when I'm writing, I don't worry about spelling or punctuation or grammar or any of those things because I can go back. It's on my laptop. I can go back and tweak it. Have fun with it. Live it. 
emote it. And what I mean by emote it, nobody wants to hear or read a dry book about scientific facts unless there are scientists checking out scientific facts. Mm. But if you're reading a book for enjoyment, you want it to be emotional. Make it emotional. That's part of life. That's the joy of life. So have fun with it. Well, I encourage our listeners to check this book out. It's called What Would You Be If You Lived Under the Sea? It's written by Professor Joe Arthur and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere you shop for your reading material. Professor Joe, thanks again for joining me tonight. I truly had a great time talking with you. Thank you. The pleasure was all mine. And may you stay strong, healthy, love, and be loved. Peace. It's about the love between a parent and a child. It's in the new book by Chance Blake called My Dear Sweet Child. Chance is sitting here now with me here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Chance, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Corey. Can you tell me what you've written in My Dear Sweet Child? Yes, My Dear Sweet Child is about a mother's love and willingness to sacrifice anything for her child. This book is also about bringing to light the issue at the border by humanizing that crisis. When you were writing this, did you have a group of readers in mind for it? Yeah, I did, honestly. I mean, it's, it's for all ages, but it really does focus on the younger generation of that three to seven-year-old range that will shape our future. The goal is for them to see from an early age, no matter our race or situation, we are all human and equal. Can you think back to where you got the idea for this? Yeah, actually, I was sitting down watching the news one night and all the key words they were using to describe the children and their families was really desensitizing the situation. It made it to where people were able to remove themselves from the fact that these are actually kids and that were being affected by this crisis. That's actually what made me want to write this book. Have you done anything like this before when it comes to writing and publishing? This is actually my first published work. Congratulations. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. So what was it like whenever you got that first copy in your hands? Honestly, I broke down crying. <laughs> and it was not so much because of the accomplishment, but more so of the hope that this might help one child out there or shine a light, shine enough light on this issue to hopefully reunite some of those families at the border. Did my dear sweet child take you a long time to write? You know, actually, I sat down in one night and it all kind of poured out of me. The process of the publishing and selecting the right pictures to go with the wording actually took longer. And now that you've been through all that, what advice would you have for aspiring authors who are listening? Yeah, definitely stay true to yourself and your craft, your art. Find what inspires you. Keep a notepad by your bed at all times. I'm a little old school. I know we have the notes on our iPhone, <laughs> but I'm all for a pen and paper. <laughs> and have you given thought to writing and publishing more after this? Yes, I'm working on a, a couple different things right now, slowly but surely. Are they in the same vein as far as are they children's books or are you venturing outside of that? One is a children's book and then the other is venturing outside of that. It's more of like a self-journey book. Now, Chance, did you have support in your life? Were there people around you who knew that you were writing this and getting it published so they could just sort of be there for some support? Yes, I definitely had my family and close friends that were here through this process. They were a big inspiration to help me continue to get this, do this all the way through. Hmm. What would you say is the most rewarding aspect now of calling yourself a published author and having a book out there for the world? For me, the overall of being able to accomplish a goal that I set my mind to was hmm. definitely something that I was excited about. However, the best thing for me was that this was something that was greater than me. 
and it was bringing light overall to basic human rights and an issue that was so frequently ignored. You were saying you wrote My Dear Sweet Child fairly quickly. So when you write in general, do you ever get writer's block at all? Of course, sometimes. I always say I use kind of the Hemingway method. <laughs> like I'll sit down and have a glass of wine sometimes. And it just starts to flow out. You mm. know, like a lot of the emotions just kind of letting it go. And sometimes I write a page and mark through certain things and go back and fill in the blanks from there. And I just kind of let it go and take as much of that energy and flow it into the pages and writing it out, just pen to paper as much as I can. And then if I stop, I stop and kind of just dive right back in whenever it comes to me. It's called My Dear Sweet Child. It's written by Chance Blake and is published by Fulton Books. You can find this everywhere that you shop for books like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Chance, thank you again for coming by the show and speaking with me tonight. I had a really nice time learning about My Dear Sweet Child, and I'm excited to see what you're doing next. Thank you so much, Corey. I appreciate your time. I'd like to welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable right now, Reverend Earl E. Leslie. Earl, thank you for joining me tonight. It is my pleasure to be on. Thanks so much for having me. Now, you've just hooked up with Christian Faith Publishing and published the book Stolen Grace, a Memoir, How God Rescued Me from the Jaws and Claws of the United Methodist Church. Can you tell me all about this book? Okay, well, Corey, you know they say that air is human. And I am a pastor, and in the year 2014, succumbing to the human conditions which exist in the best of us, I unfortunately crossed moral boundaries. But a one-sided version of the unfolding events was published by the Florida hierarchy of the United Methodist Church. And I think that I was treated very unfairly and extremely inhumanely by them. So I perceived the behavior of some of the leaders of the church who tried to tear me down to be very unethical and dishonest. And so this book was written as an effort on my part to let the truth be told. So although I was wrong in what I did, the Florida Conference's published side of the story portrayed me as Satan personified. And it is of great interest and importance to me to reveal the injustice which I thought was meted out to me by the Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church. Hence, that is in a nutshell what my book is about. Reverend, did you have a target group of readers in mind whenever you were writing this? Yes, I actually did, Corey. In fact, in the preface of the book, I specifically mentioned three sets of persons who I targeted who I thought would find the book beneficial. Firstly, I issued a blanket apology to my family, my friends, and other acquaintances who heard or who would have read the Florida Conference's version of the story, and who without a doubt would have been disappointed in me because in their eyes I had let them down. But secondly, I also used the opportunity to issue a word of caution to any and all pastors, whether active or retired, who may be going through the circumstances in their lives which could tempt them to walk down the same road that I walked. I want them to realize that it is a long, it's a hard, it's a lonely road, but that there are options. And thirdly and quickly, I used the book to remind the leaders at the administrative level of all churches that the Bible speaks continuously about grace and forgiveness. The Bible records that God also used many persons who were messed up to carry out his work. Therefore, it stands to reason that God is still willing to use messed up persons even today. So 
so man, in fact, is in no condition to be the ultimate judge. God tempers justice with mercy. Mm. And so we all should do that. Now, is Stolen Grace a book that took you a long time to complete? Yes, it's actually the completion of the original manuscript took me approximately four years, believe it or not. Mm. Give or take some months on either side. And then on top of that, the time period between the submission of my manuscript and the publication of the book was another year. So in all, totally, it took me about five years between the time I started writing and the time the book was published. Hmm. I would be curious to know from the experience of other authors, just to get a sense of the average time it takes them to write a book. But in total, mine was five years from the time I first put pen to paper to the time I first held the book in my hand, so to speak. The name of the book is Stolen Grace, a memoir, How God Rescued Me from the Jaws and Claws of the United Methodist Church. This is written by the Reverend Earl E. Leslie and published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere you shop for books. Reverend, thank you again for joining me tonight. I had a wonderful time learning about your book and talking with you. Okay, well, thank you, Corey, again. It was my pleasure to be on your program and for giving me the opportunity to share some information about my book. Thank you. Readers will discover secrets that are both warm-hearted and frightening. It's in the new book by Rosemary Stiffen, Ph.D. It's called Five Stethoscopes, Six Secrets, a Novel. Dr. Stiffen is right here with me now. Dr. Stiffen, thank you for joining me tonight. Yes, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me on your show. This sounds like quite a story that you've written here. Can you tell us all about Five Stethoscopes, Six Secrets? Well, it's about five young ladies who enter medical school and it's a joint MD-PhD program, and each one of them harbors a secret, and their mentor also has a secret. So that's why it's called Five Stethoscopes, Six Secrets, because they all become medical doctors, so that's five medical doctors, but one of them, the mentor has a secret, so that makes it six secrets. The secrets evolve. They're not discovered until the reader is actually part of the novel in terms of getting to know the characters. And some of them are may even be called non-secrets because one young lady has a child out of Whitlock. And unfortunately, in this day and age, that's not a big deal. But it is a secret. She does not tell people that she's got a child. Another one has a very frightening secret. And it's never revealed in terms of anybody else knowing about it. And it is a secret that is, again, terrifying. Did you have a group of readers in mind whenever you were writing this? Well, I teach at a small university, and I teach chemistry, and I teach chemistry to pre-med students. Hmm. So I didn't have an audience in mind except that they would like to read, and they would like to read about people of color, since I am a person of color. The five young ladies are people of color, and I would like for them to be able to read about people who may look like them and yet have a secret. And why not, you know, so that I want to diversify the healthcare field, just like I want to diversify my readers. But also, I would like for anybody to read it who has an interest in medicine, reading, or secrets. Dr. Stephen, can you think back to when you got the idea for this book? 
Well, actually, I have been teaching pre-med students for almost a quarter of a century. Mm. My PhD is in biochemistry. And over the years, I've taught many students who did go on to become medical doctors. We have a surgeon, we've got pediatricians, we've got pharmacologists, we've got plant physiologists. So I've taught several students who went on into the science and medicine arena. But it never dawned on me to try to write a novel until about two years ago. Hmm. And I was listening to the radio and there was an announcement about these five friends who are lawyers. And it's, wait a minute, I've been teaching pre-med students all this time, and why can't I just start writing about pre-med students? That's where the novel came about. It was not copying from the lawyers, but just like, wait a minute, I'm doing exactly what this novel is saying. I am preparing students to become medical doctors. I'm doing it at the undergraduate level, but I'm just going to add another level to it in terms of going to graduate school. I went to graduate school. I got my PhD with other students who were medical students, so I know a little bit about how medical programs work. And so let me just create one that's an MD-PhD program since I tell my students to always try to go for an MD-PhD. It was a natural evolution. I just didn't think about it until about two years ago. Hmm. Dr. Stephan, it doesn't sound like you have a lot of trouble coming up with ideas and writing. I understand that Five Stethoscopes, Six Secrets is your sixth novel, correct? Yes, it is, and I'm working on my seventh one. I encourage our listeners to check this novel out. It's called Five Stethoscopes, Six Secrets, a novel. It's written by Rosemary Stephan, Ph.D., and it's published by Fulton Books. You can find it everywhere that you shop for books like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere. Dr. Stiffen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for stopping by and chatting about your book. Well, I do appreciate it, and I'm hoping that your listeners will check it out. It is a good book. This will be a great opportunity for me and for others to get to know me. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.